I love this, this, this week's readings out of the lectionary. I'm trying to stay as close as I can. This Sunday in the history of the church would be the first Sunday after Epiphany. Epiphany being part of the Christmas celebration about the revealing of Christ, uh, not just in his birth on Christmas Day, but in his baptism. And it's the first time the Trinity is made known. Uh, the Father speaks from heaven, and the power of the Spirit by dove descends on the Son of God. And we see that God is three in one. And we understand that God is bigger than this or that, but he is this community of beings. He's relationship. And that in the midst of that relationship, we find our identity. That outside relationship, you can't really know who you are. But that in relationship with other people, thou art the son of the living God and who I'm well pleased. You are the beloved of God. I, I love the whole epiphany and I, I could, uh, but that's not really my sermon this morning. I love this verse over here, and I am convinced that the things that God has prepared for us are not seen through physical ways. That God doesn't and isn't revealed through the observation of your natural eyes or through your natural ears, nor can it penetrate into our soul or heart that we look and observe and that we translate and we entertain that into us, but that the love of God can only be received through this mystery of the love that God has for us and that only love can interpret who God is because God is love. The writer of Proverbs says, without vision, people perish. Though flesh and blood can't do it for you, without it, you're going to die. That unless your spiritual being is given sight, you actually will never make it. And most of the spiritual reality of who we are remains blind. Or if you remember last week's sermon, uh, they received a touch, but it was blurry. It was fuzzy. Couldn't quite make it out. And I'm convinced that for many times, the spiritual eyes of the church are blurred. They're fuzzy. They're actually, uh, if you will, just fuzzed up by what we think about God. And some of you, you need to let go of what you think about God because he's bigger than what you think. And you're limited by your own thoughts, your own preconceived ideas and those understandings. If you think about an eye, the eye is complex, right? There's retinas and there's just all kinds of things. They're complex. They're wonderful. They're a unique organ. And thousands of times a day, your eyes move and they focus and they zoom in and zoom out and they can see far away and they can see close and they identify images. They transmit thousands of pieces of information and it's decoded in our brain somehow and we know that's a cat. The eye sees a cat and it interprets that image and it searches through the memories to see whether we have yellow cats or blue cats and it, it all takes place in a millisecond. And the minute that you're born, your brain begins to encode what you see. And those images are imprinted in the memory of your mind. That's why, listen, let, let me help some of you old, over 50. You're not having memory problems. There's just a lot to check in. <laughs> I have people all the time and they say something and I said, just a minute. Because see, I have, I have a bigger hard drive than you do. I have far more information stored than you do at 21, and I have to go through all those file drawers, and I have to still do it. I'm not having a memory problem. I'm just having to open up more file drawers, trying to retrieve. Come on, some of you over 50 are going, 
that feels better. Just, <laughs> right, it's a better spin. Uh, <laughs> and, and we see with our eyes, and then we hand a child a ball, and through the touch, they begin to understand that a ball is round, and it's, it's for shooting through a hoop, or it's through throwing down a field. And, and so your, your eyes filters and stores, and, 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 and we can remember the past, and we can reason with all of that, right? There's three instances in the scriptures where Christ heals blind people. Uh, one of them in one story says, well, there are two blind men, and over here they just say there's one. So they, they don't quite agree, but there's three instances, and if you add up one, there's four people, another six, but four to six people got healed by Christ that's recorded to us. But the story that I find most interesting is the one in John 9, Mark 8, where he touches him twice, and he sees men that look like trees, and he touches him Again, and the reason that's so interesting is because this man had been blind at birth and he had no stored memory. And so he opened his eyes and he sees something, but there's no database to check it. There's nothing, there's nothing there to, to, to process what is taking place. And, and so the only way that he can process is whatever people told him. So the only way he had processed his whole life was someone would hand him something and they'd say, that's a baseball. And he'd feel that. And because he had been handed it and someone told him it was a baseball, then when he touched it, it was a baseball. So when he saw it and touched it, he said, well, that's a baseball. How many know that's not a baseball? How many know somebody lied to him and duped him? And he was easily duped because he had no eyes. I just want you to know that the God that most of you have been handed, you were lied about. That most of you have been told an interpretation for the last 2,000 years. You've been told that if you do this, God will do that. And let me say something to you. God's not waiting for you to do a darn thing. That God has always been who God is. That he is love, according to 1 John. And that he doesn't wait till you do something to become who he already is. For what you do doesn't trigger him to love, doesn't keep him from loving. He has always been love, will never act contrary to his nature. He loves the sinner and the saint the same. He loves red, yellow, black, and white the same. He doesn't care what tribe you belong to, what you don't belong to. He doesn't even care what you believe about him. He will always be. But many of us have been lied to when it comes to spiritual matters. And when God opens our spiritual eyes to see him as he is, it will literally change our lives. In that instant, if we ever get a glimpse, if we ever have an aha, epiphany moment, this is my, if you ever hear, sense, really understand that just as Christ is his beloved, so are you. That you are people who are utterly beloved by a God that cannot help himself. He is who he is. And contrary to the things that we've been told out of the religious cultures, God is trying to clear up blurred vision about who he is. And every change in the quality of a Christian's life must grow out of a change in his or her quality of vision. Must. God wants to improve our vision of who he is. And if he improves our vision of who he is, it will improve our life. 
I've been preaching for a long time, been leading in the church for a long time. And can I tell you that the American CEO marketing model crept into the church about 30 years ago, and they begin to tell us, well, if you have a vision, pastor, the people will follow you. If you have a vision to build a building, if you have a vision to build a ministry. And so we were uh, influenced by the American marketing system, and we all came up with visions to try to get you to go somewhere or do something. That's not at all what the proverb writer is saying. The proverb writer is saying, if your vision is clear about who God is and who you are, you can accomplish. So it's not about having a vision to do this or do that. It's rather having a vision of who God is. And if you know who God is, you will be able to see all of life completely differently. And it'll change the way you live. But you're going to have to be willing to challenge some of the crap that you have been handed. You do know that one of my jobs is to say what you think, but haven't had the guts to say And most of what's been handed to us under the guise of theology just is not true. It's been skewed by so many other things. And so I want to talk to you that when I say focus, I'm talking about focusing in on who God really is and how he relates to you specifically. And most of that has been blurred by a heretical faith. And secondly, by the traumas and the trials and the abuses and the pains that we've all experienced. And we've come out of that with a distorted view of God. And in 2020, it's time for us to ask God to clear our vision of who he is and of how he views us. In the prophetic writings of the scriptures, there are three or four times, Jeremiah being one, Amos being one, Hosea being one, Zechariah being one, and, and they're very, very similar. It says, the word of the Lord came unto me and said to me, I have set this day before you. And that word was followed up by this question. Jeremiah, what do you see? You see, for the last four or five hundred years, in particularly the West, we thought that the preaching of the word was to disseminate information so that you silly, stupid people would now know what we know. And so we've taught doctrine, and we've taught rules, and we've taught revelation. But if you look through the prophetic writings, you will understand that the word of the Lord would come to Jeremiah, Amos, and Zechariah, and then God would ask a question. Now that you've heard the word, what do you see? See, the word of God is not to be dissected and put over in here to control people. The word of the Lord has come to open your eyes to see more clearly than you've ever seen before. Prophetic words are not simply a foretelling of the future. For the prophetic words are to clear our minds. To clear our spiritual uh, uh, psyche so that we can see, what do you see? I remember making a mistake one time, and I went on this whole thing about I was going to ask people what they saw God doing in their life. I can never forget this one little guy. He's walking by and goes, I see a blank wall. I don't see God doing anything. You're weird. I come to this church because my wife likes you, but I don't see God doing anything. I'm going home. And he walked away. I suddenly realized that he had just simply had the nerve to tell me what he, that most people today, if you ask them what did they see God doing in their life, they don't know. They don't, they don't really know. They, they, they're just going to get up in the morning. They're just going to go to bed tonight, get enough sleep to have enough energy, get up in the morning to go to work, to buy enough money to get, buy a bowl of beans to get up tomorrow and do the same thing over and over again. The, the machinations of our life, we're just going through these motions. And the reality is God wants to break into that machination, just that, he wants to break into that and let you really see. 
how God's looking at you. And it'll alter. He'll give you a word, and then he'll stand back and say, what do you see? And he'll wait to hear what you say. If you listen to what people say, you can tell what they see, because they'll let you know. But I'm here to say to you this morning, God can never do in your life above and beyond what you see. That you will stumble through life without a prophetic, clear picture of who God is. Wise men saw a star. They saw a star. And they followed that star to where the baby lay. And when they got there, they worshipped the baby that was there. Listen, people today can't see the stars. Did you know that those Jewish people had the scriptures but didn't know where God was? You know how many people I know, they'll quote scripture to me, but they won't know where God was if he walked up and slapped them in the mouth. Just because you know that Bible doesn't mean you know God. In fact, most of what people know about the Bible has been inundated with opinions and denominations for so long that they're blinded that the star is hanging over the manger and God is here. They're too busy worrying about whether or not they can live up to what they think the book says. Can I tell you something? The book isn't about rules and regulations. It's about drawing you into a relationship with the baby that's laying in the manger. And if you'd open up your spiritual eyes, you could see the star about where he's at. Oh, well. I realized about 25 years ago, most people go to church because they think they can hear what they already believe. Oh, well. They just want to be reinforced of their own preconceived conceptions of who they think God is. They don't really want to be challenged. That's 90%, maybe 95%. But to follow the star where the presence of God is and understand that it's the presence of God that makes all the changes in our life. The father of our faith, his name is Abraham. Jesus shows up and in the 8th chapter of John. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. I spent years, well, what did Abraham see that made Abraham rejoice? Well, if you go back and read in the book of Genesis, you'll find out that it says, God spoke to Abraham and said, see all of the land that you can see, I'll give to you whatever you can see. Did you know God will give you everything that you can see? But until you can see it in the spirit, you don't get to possess it in the natural that it, it is a law of the scripture. It's a law of the kingdom. And Abraham looked up and saw it. It says he picked up his tent and walked in it. He walked in the vision of that land before the land was ever his. Are you walking out the vision that God has for your life? Or have you ever taken the time? Most of us are sitting around waiting for it to manifest in its natural sense. Until you can walk in it like it was a dream. Until you can walk in it. Well, pastor, that's nuts. Well, I'm in good company. See, whatever you can see, Abraham, I'll give it to you. Whatever you can walk in and put your tent in, whatever you can lay stake to, whatever you can accept in the spirit before you can ever see it in the natural, that's why when God said, okay, now's the time, he didn't take another look at his 99-year-old body. He lived in the vision that if God had said it, it was going to manifest. And so we're going to live like it's already true. Moses comes along and he's walking through the wilderness and he sees a fire in a bush, and the bush is still there. But the Bible says he turned aside to see. Look at your neighbor and say, maybe you ought to look a different direction. Maybe you need to look beyond yourself. Maybe you need to look and see. See, it's not unusual for bushes to explode in the wilderness of Judea. I've been there. It gets hot. 
Bushes are always exploding in the fire. The interesting thing is that the bush wasn't consumed, but that the bush could burn and out not being burned. Do you know there is a way to live in fire? I know people are scared to death of hell because it's hot. You know, God's people can live in fire. Ask Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or by how some of you have been lied to, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, fire is a couple of things. Yes, it can burn things up, but those that have been purified in the knowledge of the Lord, it just purifies. Ah, hell's the tormenting place, only if you don't know God. Because if you know God, you could walk right through fire and not be burned. Listen to me. Moses saw something consumed with fire and turned aside to see. I wish a lot of people turn aside to see what God's trying to burn out in their lives. There's some fires going on in your life today. You might want to stop and pay attention. You might want to stop and see what's taking place. It says he turned aside to see. The Hebrew writer says that Moses endured his times because he was looking at the invisible. Listen, we're in times that are on fire. We're in times that make no sense. You can endure it if you can see what God is really going to accomplish in our lives. It is a historic reality for those of us that are following after Christ that as your vision goes, so goes your life. That we need to have our eyes refocused and retuned. And that yes, we've all come through things and we've all been lied to about things. But the real giants were not the giants that were standing in front of God's people. The real giants were the giants living on the inside of them telling them they were grasshoppers. What is obstructing your view and what is obstructing your forward progress is not the things out here, but the things in here that have been fed by our wounded and our brokenness and by those who we simply trusted to help us and they just fueled our own doubt of ourselves. Amen. Oh, you'll get it in a minute. No wonder the prophet Elijah says, open his eyes that he can see that there are more for him than against him. See, we get in the midst of things and we begin to measure the size of the army that's opposed to us. We begin to measure the obstacles around us and we shrug our shoulders and say, well, well, well what's the use? It's, the diagnosis is... Well, what's the use? They told me they didn't love me. Well, what's the use? Nothing goes right. Well, what's the use? Did you know hope is only hope in the midst of weakness? Did you know hope cannot exist outside of our own weak understanding of our own brokenness? See, if I wasn't weak and wasn't broken, I wouldn't need hope. But in the midst of my own futility, I have hope. Why? Because I don't look at the things that have opposed me. I look at the things that are over their shoulders, the army that surrounds my enemy. Open my servant's eyes. My prayer for you this morning is that God would open your eyes, your spiritual eyes, that you could see that God is working for you. That in the midst of a world that you can't trust anything, you can trust the invisible. That the trust of a Christian is not on the basis of what's happening in the natural, but the trust of a Christian is to see the invisible. Because I got news for you, everything in this world is designed to rob you of your ability to trust. And you've got to have a spiritual awakening that takes place that causes you to see beyond the world around you. This is not a charismatic idea. It's not a Pentecostal idea. It's a Christian idea that I live by faith and not by sight. 
So what kind of encounter must you have, must I have, that would cause us to refocus and to see more clearly what's going on? It's not going to happen because I'm able to strike your intelligence. It's going to happen because you have an encounter with the Spirit of God. It's going to happen because God does some strange thing in our midst and is able to open our eyes to see what we had hitherto never been able to see. Thou art the Christ, Peter says. The Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, flesh and blood did not get that. You didn't get that through a natural observation because my kingdom comes not with observation, but with a relationship with the Father who reveals who I am. Flesh and blood won't reveal to you what you need to see. Paul, on the road to Damascus, is going to kill other Christians. And, and, and the Lord knocks him off of his donkey. And this bright light appears. And he sees one standing in the light. And the Lord says, why are you coming against me? And, and Paul goes, who are you? And he goes, I'm Jesus. Now, in Paul's mind, Jesus could not be the Lord. Jesus was a blasphemer. Jesus ate with sinners. He, ate with, he sat with tax collectors. He, he, he touched lepers for God's sake. He had women taking care of things around him. I mean, John MacArthur would have been laid out <laughs> over the way Jesus dealt with women. You know, while we're arguing about whether or not they can preach or teach, they're leading the world to Jesus. It's an amazing thought. And, and Paul's standing there going, Jesus, is that you? Jesus, Jesus, you mean you're God? You, God allowed himself to be killed and he forgave the people that were killing him? That, that's not the God I've served. I've served the God that rewards people according to their behavior. And it, you, but you see, in an instant, he saw Jesus. And when he sees Jesus as a forgiving, loving, merciful being, it causes him to look at his life in a completely different way. Hear me, if you're a Pharisee, I'm praying God knock you in the mouth. If you have this idea that God rewards people for their behavior, I'm hoping God slaps you upside the head, knocks you in the dust, and causes you to see that Jesus loves every sinner. He loves every person that doesn't measure up. He loves the marginalized. Pardon me, he loves non-Americans. I love you, but dadgummit, he loves the Catholics. Uh, pardon me, but he loves the atheist. You need to get off your high horse and stop, because you're in trouble. God's wanting to open our eyes that God is bigger than what we've ever thought. And if you think you know all there is to know about God, you're going to be in trouble in 2020. You're going to be in trouble in the next 10 years. Because God's getting ready to blow our minds. He's getting ready to show us stuff we've never seen about God. We're getting ready to see things about the Lord that we've never even thought was possible. And so Paul pins this letter. He goes, if I'm out of my mind, it's because of the love of God. Because once you know that God is love, he doesn't have it. He is love. Once you see that he is, it will absolutely change the way you relate to one another. It'll change the way you see the world. It'll change the way you see politics. It'll change the way you see the church. It'll alter everything because he's the one standing in the glory. 
He's the one that forgives people, loves people, embraces people, turns the other cheek, goes the other mile, forgives 70 times 7. It will make you begin to write down everything. Can I tell you? You'll be able then to help people through their brokenness and their trauma. You know what this place is supposed to be? It's supposed to be a place where we see each other through the eyes of Christ. We see each other through the eyes of a blood-stained brow. We see each other not as the labels of the world, but through the only thing that you can see them. And that's the love and the mercy and the grace of God. That would change the world. That'll alter the entire concept. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Love brings everything into focus. It transcends and transforms. It rearranges. And the more I've spent in my life over the last almost 40 years to describe that love, I realize the more I try to describe it, it's undescribable. It's so expansive. My capacity to understand it, I cannot get. And I fail every time I begin to Because this God is so unknowable. I can't arrive to it through my deductions. I can only, listen, I can't explain the love that Annie and I have together, but I know it. I can't explain it to you. I have had to experience it. And one experience has never been enough. Can I get an amen? She remains a mystery to me. About the time I think I've got her figured out, There's a whole other side of her. And I'm thinking, huh? See, God is not a mystery. He is mystery. He is mystery. To jump over into a relationship with God is to jump into a love that is deeper and higher and wider and bigger than I've ever been able to comprehend. But I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding be open, that you might jump into that ocean called God. You'll never find a judgmental bone in God's body. You'll never find a bone in his body. But anyway, that's a whole nother. <laughs> How deep a sense of love. How deep an understanding. That, 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 that Paul in, finally says, this love that I'm talking about is slow to lose patience. Listen, you get around somebody, call themselves a Christian, and they got a short fuse, they need to see Jesus. If you've got a short fuse, you need to see Jesus. Uh, the longer I live, my, my, my kids come in my house and my grandkids are doing stuff. And my daughter goes, where is your granddad? Because the longer I live, you know what I care about? Only the kid. Not the wall. Not the carpet. Not the crackers in the carpet. Love is slow to lose patience. It looks for ways of being constructive. That would fix your marriage. It looks for ways of being constructive. That would fix your marriage. It's not possessive. It's not anxious to impress or to judge. It's not puffed up in its own importance. Love has good manners. Oh my God, that changed the world. Have you been to Walmart lately? I've been to Walmart. You know why I don't go back to Walmart? Because people have no manners. I'm, I'm sitting in Sonic. True, true story. I'm sitting in Sonic. You know, you drive in Sonic and you can pull in these parking places and they're down this one side, right? And I pull in and I park about the fifth or sixth one down. And just as I, par- I hear this noise, and 
I look over and this lady, uh, this guy had started to back out and he got about halfway. And this lady is coming in and she's right. She can't stop. She's out in 30th Street. So she honks her horn. You know what this guy does? He puts his car in park and he, my age, and he jumps out and he runs over to this car. And it's a young woman in the car. He wouldn't have done it if it had been a man. Because a man had got out and hit him in the mouth. Every woman ought to be going, yes, amen. Tell me there's not sexist in the world. This old dude that was fat jumps out, runs over his car and starts screaming at her and cussing at her. Because she honked at him. He was the idiot that didn't look. That was love, wasn't it? I remember sitting there going, wow. This good manners. I'm just sitting there going, manners. You backed up, she honked, and you jump out. Did you know if you call people out on manners in the world today, they get mad? It's intriguing. You try to get someone to say, excuse me, pardon me. Why? I didn't do nothing. Love has manners. It doesn't pursue selfish advantage. It's not touchy. Oh, that's the other thing. Not touchy. You ever tried to help somebody that was touchy? You just finally shut up. Touchy. It doesn't keep an account of evil. On the contrary, it's glad with every man. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It outlasts anything. Or in other words, it never fails. That love, according to Paul, is shed abroad in our hearts by the power of the Spirit. You know why people are unlovely? They don't receive the ministry of the Spirit of God. Because the ministry of the Spirit of God is to make God's love known to you. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to open our hearts that the love of God can enter into it. Pentecostals, I is one. We spent a lot of years trying to define the work of the Holy Spirit, and we missed it. We missed it. Of course I speak in tongues, but that's not the apex of the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to people they're loved by God unconditionally, undeniably, endlessly, eternally. How do we focus? Maybe we need to go back to the simplicity of the reality that God is love and that he loves us with an unending, everlasting love. And the minute that you know you're loved, can I tell you, according to Romans chapter 8, that his spirit is poured out in our hearts and we cry, Abba, Father. We realize that we're part of a family and we're gathered up into this reality that we know we are accepted by God. I've spent most of my life asking people, have you accepted Jesus? I can remember where I was standing when I was looking at this person and said, well, have you ever accepted Christ into your life? And this person fumbled around a minute and I heard the Lord say, ask a better question. And I stood there for a minute and these words came out of my mouth. Have you accepted the reality that you are utterly loved by God? Have you accepted the truth that you're the beloved of the Lord? Do you know that God loves you? Not because of who you are or what you do, but because of who he is. Do you know that? See, I thought my job was to make sure they accepted Christ. And I've come to realize in the last 10 years, my job is to make you know he loves you. And that once you begin to know he loves you, of course, you'll walk in an acceptance of the Christ. Church... You need to quit pointing out that people are sinners. They know they're sinners. 
That's why they're having trouble accepting the fact that they're loved. But it's my job to come and say he loves sinners. Sometimes I think he loves sinners more than he loves people professing themselves to be Christians because they're so judgmental. That's another sermon. I take my grandchildren into my bathroom. We have this big mirror. And I take them in there and I stand them up on a stool. And I make them look in the mirror. And I do this little thing. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And I have one granddaughter. And she'll get mirror, mirror on the wall. And see, all of you religious people out there, you're going, well, you need some humility. Like heck I do. I'm the fairest of them all. Mirror, mirror on the wall. And the word speaks back to me. I love you. You're my favorite. You're my chosen. Mirror, mirror on the wall. See, everybody in this room ought to be able to walk into their bathroom this afternoon and realize that God is talking back to them and telling them, live in the embrace and in my smile. Live because my face is not frowning at you. You're the fairest of them all. Listen, if I do my job right, my grandkids are going to know they're the best. They're the highest. They're, they're... Listen, I want them to know that before they go out in the world because somebody out in the world will lie to them, particularly girls. They'll lie to them. We as the church ought to be the mirror reflecting the love of God. I promise you, I'll get you out on time. I apologize for going a few minutes late. Listen, people are supposed to be able to come into this room This is supposed to be a safe place where people come into this room and we look beyond what we can observe and we see a child of God, loved by God. And we see that and we speak that and we call those things that be not. He's not talking about getting Cadillacs or planes. He's talking about releasing a broken child from the inside of the trap of this world and letting them discover that they're loved by God. And letting them walk out of here with a clear vision of him and of themselves. That will change your life. That will alter every marriage. It will alter every family. It will alter where you work. It will alter our culture, our society. And we can do that. In this little place called Hutchinson Camp, we can do that. We can become a sacred place not because of stained glass but because we cherish the value of every soul in this room this morning. Because we make it our job to make sure no one walks out of here thinking they're not worthy. Are you listening to me? It can become so sacred that people break the veil of the atmosphere of our family. And when they step in, they they can feel that adoption. I love how Paul speaks to Agrippa, and he tells him, I fell off my donkey. I saw Jesus in the sky, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I have sent you to open the eyes of the world that they might know my forgiveness. And, oh, King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to this vision. I love that. And Paul spends the rest of his life trying to get people to see the love of God and the grace of God that is sufficient. He doesn't get caught up in what if they do this, what if they don't do that. He doesn't get caught up in it. He just continually talks about this love. Okay, I've got to stop. I apologize. In the last 10 years or so of my life, uh, I realized that 
if you just teach exegetically, if you just teach doctrine, if you just, people just try to simulate the information. But if you tell a story, and, and, and I love the book of Hosea. God comes to Hosea, this emerging prophet rabbi, and he goes, look, I'm not going to use you to say a lot, but I'm going to use your life. So Hosea, I want you to go down the street. I want you to find the worst harlot you can find. I want you to go find the lady of the evening. Find the biggest prostitute and whore that you can find. He said, what? I told you, I get paid to say things you think. (laughs) Go find the worst human being you can find and marry her. And he did. And everybody canceled his speaking engagements. What do you think? What? And he lost his ministry because he obeyed God and married somebody that nobody else. And you can tell she didn't really change her behavior much because when the first child was born, he named that child Scattered. The second child was born, and he said, No love left, no mercy. And the third child really underscored it. He just simply named that child, not mine. How would you like to get up every morning and your dad go, come here, not mine. And Hosea lives this, and she just keeps doing what she's doing. He's got these three children, no ministry left, and he raises these three children like they're his. 30 years go by, and now then, what was once beautiful is no longer beautiful. What once could be sold and traded now is standing in the back alley of Jerusalem on a stand being auctioned for 15 shekels. And and, and Hosea has recovered his ministry. People are reading his tweets. They're buying his books. And the Lord speaks to Hosea a second time. And he said, Hosea, I want you to go down that dark alley to the back, and I want you to buy that whore back. And I want you to live with her as your wife. And he does. Now, when I started preaching that 30 years ago, I was so moved because I knew I was the person standing in the back alley. And God purchased me out of... Come on, how many of you know God purchased all of us out of our own sin that we don't deserve? Man, it was one of the key stories that began to uncover for me the unconditional love of God. And I've preached it most of my life. And about three months ago, I read it again. The Lord said, look again, son. Look again, son. I want you to see it again, son. And I've read it, and I've read it, and I've read it. He said, son, I didn't call you to be the one standing on the dark alley being sold. I called you to be the prophet. I called you to walk into alleys and find people being sold. He said, if you're going to live in the appreciation that I bought you by loving one another, the world will know. Son, would you please go down those alleys and tell people Look at my life. Look at these children. They're not mine, but they're mine. 
listen, church, the world will never get us disseminating information. Their eyes will be open when we begin to love each other and forgive each other the way God has forgiven and loved us. When we start talking about other tribes and other genders, when we stop putting other people down, when we start loving each other conditionally, that's what will open the eyes of the world. They don't care about your doctrine. But when we love each other and forgive each other and keep inviting each other back, it'll change the story in their mind. The world needs to know they're loved. And the only way they're going to know it is if we love them. You can't put this off to somebody else. You can't tell me it's my job. It's your calling. It's who we are. We need to focus in 2020 on loving other people, on loving each other, on restoring each other. Listen, there are a few of you in this room that I'm so proud of. Well, I'm proud of all of you, but there's a few of you in the room that I've watched you struggle. And I've watched you just keep walking towards God's love. And I'm watching God doing great things. Not because you're so smart, but because you just never gave up on the fact that He loved you. I'm so proud of you. So here's my question. Do you know that you're the beloved of God? Did you know that on this day, 2,000 years later, the heavens are open and the Father is speaking, the Spirit is descending. This is my beloved Son. These are my people in whom I am well pleased that we are the body of the Son of God. Members of one another that in this community of faith God is well pleased that we're the beloved. Could we encourage one another every time? Every chance? Listen, be different than those idiots on Facebook. Be different. Quit getting drawn into that crap. Facebook ought to be that place where you just tell the world they're loved. That there's a chance. Lord, I pray this morning that as much as I can, every person in this room would know they're beloved by God. That, Lord, there's no looking at their behaviors. All I'm seeing is what you created and called and died so they could be. The children of the Most High. And in the knowledge of that love, I believe healing would take place. I know I'm in your time. I'm sorry. But if one person in this room walks out of here knowing God loves them, then the whole morning was worth it.